Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Steve Barrett. I'm the editorial director of PR Week, going to guide you through the show. And uh, we've got a brilliant show for you this week. We're with our executive editor, Frank Washcook. How you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's always a pleasure. Busy week this week. Loads of great content and stories from the team. And we're all gearing up for PR Decoded and the Purpose Awards next week. So plenty to get through. And actually, we would have been in Chicago normally, but uh, we're doing it virtually. So our guest this week is actually from Chicago, Carrie Von der Sitt, who's head of growth at Golan. Carrie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, Steve and Frank. Thanks so much for having me on today. Really looking forward to our discussion and uh, PR Decoded next week. It's a shame we couldn't do that in person. It really is. Yeah. How's life been in Chicago during lockdown? What's your sort of personal lockdown life been like and how's the agency (laughs) been coping? Um, Well, personally, um, I think we're getting along um, better than most. Really grateful for our health. Um, I have three young kids and we got rolling into the school year without too many issues. I think saving bandwidth at home with uh, three remote learners is our biggest challenge, but um, learning to cope with our new reality. And um, from the work front, I have to say it was um, a bit precarious in the beginning, but um, things are running pretty smoothly at Golan. And we're really proud of the work that we've been doing under these conditions and the businesses that we've been able to acquire. So it's it's an exciting time and we're, we're, faring, we're faring pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, you do seem to be on a bit of a tear at the moment, and we'll talk about that. Um, Have you um, thought about when the agency is going to go back to the office? Are people, some people going back in now? You know, what's what's the attitude to that? And when do you you expect that to be resolved? Well, our attitude is there's no sense of urgency to get back into the office. We're um, going to always err on the side of caution and the safety of our employees. We have no intent for anyone um, to be going back in this calendar year. We'll take Q1, um, you know, we'll see what Q1 brings rather. But like I said, it's been remarkable the way that we've been able to almost overnight, what was it, March 13th, I think was our first day that we were sort of quote unquote sent home. And it's been a pretty seamless transition. Um, The tech has held up remarkably well. Our collaboration has been um, really um, significant. And I think a lot of it was because we had a strong culture going into this work from home environment. So we've been able to weather the storm pretty well. So no sense of urgency to get back into um, a physical office location. And honestly, I think the industry as a whole um, and many other industries will probably see a, a new way of working in the future. I'm not sure that there's the requirement to have the same you know, real estate investment or footprint um, to do good work. So it's going to be an exciting evolution, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think you're right. We are lucky that we can work from home and uh, in the main in, in the journalism and PR industries. And as you say, there will probably be a hybrid model that, that emerges where you maybe go in two or three days a week and then do the rest from home. And um, yeah, we, we maybe we'll cut down on that travel. And you mentioned family yeah. time. People have been spending a lot more time with their families and have actually really enjoyed it, haven't they? Some, in some ways, although juggling that homeschooling is a challenge, isn't it? 
<laughs> it is. But again, I'm uh, I'm blessed in that my kids are 15, 13, and 11. So um, I really feel for my colleagues that have younger kids because I think that that's where where it truly would be challenging. And there's some uh, some amazing work that's happening um, to keep all of the the balls juggling at the same time. So. Yeah. For sure, definitely. So we mentioned the the tear you've been on. You've won this week. You won some business from General Mills. You've won some CDC work. You've won J and J Skin Health. You've won Southern Comfort through your Brooklyn Brothers subsidiary. You've got Micron with a which is an IPG cross team effort. And there's a bit of work that's gone out of the company as well. I think, because uh, to be fair, like maybe Hyatt and some of that. I don't know what's happening with that California tobacco work, but maybe you can tell us. But First of all, tell us how you, you're head of growth, so presumably you're heavily involved in all this pitching. How has it worked from a nuts and bolts uh, point of view? Have you done all of these pitches virtually? We have, um, and it's been a really interesting transition. Um, I remember having a conversation with Matt Neal, our CEO, the first full week that we were in our work-from-home environment, and he wanted me to try to take a stab at what I thought might be the implications from a business development standpoint. And honestly, I had no idea what was going to be the fallout on this. Um, we had um, noted that certainly the opportunities were starting to become fewer and farther between. Um, also in the first couple of weeks of quarantine, a number of opportunities, as you could imagine, were canceled. So we were about 30% down on total opportunities um, you know, a little over 40% of those were getting canceled um, based on um, the uncertainty of the economy. Um, and we weren't really sure, but we um, sat patiently. And I'll say that soon after things started to pick up for us, um, you mentioned our win with Southern Comfort. Uh, probably not uh, not ironic that the alcohol and spirits industry were one of the <laughs> first to recover. Yeah. Um so we noticed. We all need a bit of a drink at the end of the day, don't we? Or even <laughs> even during the day these days. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, another benefit of work from home, I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah, as long as you're not doing it on the Zoom call, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a special talent to keep that hidden under the desk. So, yeah, for sure. um, so that was a category we saw rebound. Technology was a company that we saw, or was an industry we saw rebound pretty quickly. Um, and then, as well, the healthcare opportunities. Um, so we were quickly able to convert some of those. Um, and it was challenging, I'll say, in the beginning. Um, I think some of the things that we noted um, was that in quarantine or, or within this COVID environment, we noticed that the strengths that we went into um, the quarantine um, were amplified and the cracks became a little bit more exposed when you're all working remotely. Um, so I think from a strength standpoint, being able to drive these efforts um, were, were made easier because of our culture. Um, we're really collaborative. Um, we've always been a very collaborative organization. Um, you know, I sit in Chicago. We've got Midwestern roots. Um, and that uh, can usually translate into an organization that works well together, that plays well together in the sandbox. And I think that that's imperative when you're working from a home office or a basement or hallways like I am, um, that you can have um, honest and open and transparent conversations with people. So um, that made the transition a bit easier. I think um, another strength overall for Golan is our size. 
Um, there seems to be a trend towards larger agencies um, being um, in the hunt for these opportunities. And we sort of have a sweet spot for Golan. We're big and global, but we're not the biggest. We're far from it, actually. Um, and our size means that we're more agile and nimble. So we're able to more easily um, push innovation and um, send that through the system, even in this virtual environment. Yeah, because um, you've, got, you've got clients like Walmart, Netflix, Lego, which I guess have done well in the downturn. Um, if you were an agency that was sort of uh, focused on travel, leisure, uh, hospitality, you'd be struggling, wouldn't you? So it, it's important to have a good base of a good mix of clients and a good mix of industries to be involved in so you can you know while while some bits may be down the others are up most definitely and i think our um this this win rate really started to pick up in q4 of last year and into q1 so we also had a bit of a running start going into what's become a precarious year and the strengths of sort of being able to nurture those relationships and do great work for those clients that were secured towards the end of last year, you've named a number of them already, had us well positioned to weather the storm that was those first couple of months of quarantine. So um, and having a nice rounded book of business, as you suggest, has been really helpful. Yeah, um, I think everyone started the year well, to be honest, from what I, what we were hearing. But it, they really get, did get uh, stymied when COVID came in. And, and I'm not sure everyone's recovered in the same way. I think what's uh, been noteworthy about the goal in performance is the way you've come back strongly and kept almost kept the momentum that you had at yeah. the start of the year that, that others did. Tell us a bit about remote pitching. You know, what's the secret to doing that well? What's the difference in dynamic? Because, you know, I can imagine seeing the client in their home environment, maybe that sort of personalizes it a bit more and it, it maybe makes it, I'm just speculating here, makes it a bit easier to, to build a connection with them when maybe if you're walking into a room, you know, with 10 people around a table and, you know, complete silence. It's, it, <laughs> maybe the atmosphere is totally different, isn't it? The dynamic of a virtual pitch. It 100% is. You've, you've nailed it on the head, Steve. Um, I think that this environment has created a new level of grace um, for the prospects that we're dealing with and a certain level of understanding that we're all in the same situation together. And it's made them more receptive to, um, I won't say that the pitches have been more casual because they've certainly all been very rigorous, but they have been less, um, I guess there's been more flexibility in how we can go about pitching them. So by way of example, when we were pitching Southern Comfort, we were able to um, take what would have been one final pitch and break it down into more digestible conversations. So we were briefed um, by the client one week. The following week, we were able to schedule a strategy tissue session for them so that we could uh, talk about the various um aspects of cultural relevance, we might tap for them, get their feedback, went back and worked through creative. So then the week uh, following, we were able to give them a couple of creative paths in so that we could get their feedback on that direction. And then we had the final um, pitch the week following. So we were, um, I think it also, this sort of technological environment that we're in, it makes it far easier to schedule meetings, to get time with the right people. Um, and it's been a great way to build chemistry. I think that's one of the 
things that were keeping us up at night the most in the beginning is how do you have a personal relationship with someone? Because these pitches, they're, they're, they want to buy a partner. They want to buy an idea, but they're also buying relationships. They want to know that the people that they're working with are the people they want to spend their time with and that they can trust. And it's more difficult to do that over zoom than it is through, um, you know, sitting around a table or being able to go, um, have dinner together or a drink or whatnot. So yeah. um, breaking it out into those more digestible chunks through technology has been, I think, a really meaningful um, addition to pitching in the COVID world. Yeah. So, and just to finish, you've been at Golden for a, a twenty plus years, I think. Um, you've you've you worked with Al, you worked under I Fred did. Cook's regime, and now then with the triumvirate of CEOs, and now with Matt Neal as sole CEO. What's the difference now with just having going back to one CEO and how has that uh, uh, changed things? Well, I have. I've been at Golan um, for over 24 years. So I've been able to work with some amazing mentors throughout that time. It's one of the reasons that I've stayed. I've always been able to um, create new challenges for myself, but do it underneath the um, support and admiration of, of some great leaders um, that you have named. I've worked with Matt um, Neal for a long time as well. One of my um, roles at the company was to lead our Unilever relationship in the U.S. And uh, when Matt was over in London, uh, we started to collaborate more and more frequently on pitches um, as they have a big book of Unilever business there. I'll say that there's been a number of um, ways that over the past year, we've sort of consolidated our leadership um, to help streamline who's responsible for what and make it a little bit more clear um, when we're making decisions. Um, Matt in the sole CEO role is one of those. Um, you've also covered uh, the consolidation with Darren Burns, um, who sits atop all of our brands in Asia Pacific. That's another great way that we're streamlining that important region. And even my own role last fall, I added the um, global marketing remit to my responsibilities. So running our global agency marketing to the service of growth and new business has also been really meaningful. Yeah, opening up in 50 territories, I think, from reading yep. the story. So, yeah, well, it's great stuff. It's good to chat, Carrie, and we'll look forward to getting your input on some of the stories. And uh, congrats on a great run. I mean, it's, uh, I guess you've always got to look to the next one, though, haven't you? Cause, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Business development can be a thankless job. You can yeah, never can, sort yeah. of hang up your hat and call it a day. <laughs> I did. I actually, before I became a journalist, I did uh, business development and marketing at an agency. So I know exactly how you feel and uh, uh frankly it wasn't for me it was it was a it could be a very disheartening job but uh, obviously great highs as well and i found that quite difficult to deal with i'm not, I'm not going to lie but so a lot of uh, admiration for what you do um frank let's talk about some of the big stories this week lots of social media stories as well uh, a lot of stories by diana bradley lots of brands doing interesting stuff craft ocean spray arby's home depot hershey but when i say interesting stuff some of them they're are things that have happened that the brand sort of gets involved with. That's the way it goes this, these days, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and a good example of that is ocean spray. So um, now keep in mind, I'm not the age demographic to really understand this. So just bear with me. But um, many of them demographic. Well, it might even be a little young for them, but um, this kind of craze has started on TikTok. Uh, 
in which uh, someone was on a skateboard with the Fleetwood Mac song Dreams playing in the background and, and people were just ensorcelled by this, uh, this happening. And so uh, after this took off, Ocean Spray's CEO uh, made a video of himself uh, on a skateboard and, uh, you know, with the song playing and, and people can't get enough of it. But it's interesting, right? Because you could be tempted to look at this and just say, well, like, it's a social, it's a silly social media thing. But uh, you can imagine there were actually some deliberations and some serious sure conversations right. in the boardroom of Ocean Spray about uh, whether or not he should participate in this and how and 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 all of that. So uh, it's always interesting for me to think about the business decisions that are being made behind even something like this that just seems real. Yeah, spur and, of the and it involves so, the CEO, so it's right at the top. Yeah. And there's even, even things like, do we need to get the rights to use the music and stuff like that, I guess. That's yeah, that's yeah. Cool. And here's another one. Um, the, we're back to the Home Depot skeleton that we discussed last Yay. week that is 12 feet tall and costs more than $300. It's very expensive. Halloween decoration, um, but it it went viral on on TikTok and Twitter, including this video of Home Depot uh, employees, you know, struggling to put it up. And this week, we see uh, all of these other brands like Budweiser and Bud Light getting involved. There's a there's a picture of um of the skeleton, They're really really quite large, uh, on somebody's porch drinking a rather large bottle of Budweiser and carrying a case of, of Natty Light, you know, sort of throwing it back to the college days there, I guess. Um, you know, Slim Jim's got involved. Um, so it, it's, but again, going back to last week's discussion, it's interesting that Home Depot never put any marketing money on this. They just sort of let it go in an authentic way and it worked for them. Uh, so maybe there's a lesson in that as well. Uh, we have some other interesting social activations this week. Um, Craft has gone back to something that worked for it before with its Send Nudes campaign. Now, I want to be clear, we're spelling nudes with two O's here. Uh, you know, it's a very, it's a very PG-13 campaign, but it was yeah, so successful. Send nudes. Right. It's, it's, it's a little, just a little racy. Um, but the they, it was so successful on Twitter that they actually ran out of macaroni and cheese and then had to supply more. So I guess that is a metric of success for Kraft Mac and Cheese on this campaign. Uh, so that's yeah. a fun one, too. I often wonder with that one, because it was like the Patagonia, you know, the, the pants that they put the label in. Uh, they, mm. sold, they sold out, right? But I mean, I guess it doesn't... A lot of... Um, manufacturing now is just in time manufacturing, isn't it? So people don't keep massive stocks of anything. So I think it's yep, yep. It's, it's a good it's a good hook to say it's sold out. But, uh, but I yeah. I think it's also somebody brought up a good point that Kraft macaroni and cheese is a product very often targeted at children or uh, the parents of small children, and maybe it was a little too edgy. Um, mm. Or the other side of that is perhaps it's targeting. Uh, children who have grown up who were fans of macaroni and cheese as a kid. Uh, I think it's just fine. Um, clearly, it worked for them well enough. They got all our attention. We wrote about it. Uh, you just wonder how many times they can go back to the said nudes well, because I think this is already the second time. Right, right. Um, and was uh, Arby's was a slightly different thing. That was a website. Wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Arby's... 
so Arby's, the campaign is the, so we're, we're going to get into a point of contention yeah. here about the pronunciation. Uh, I'm adamant that they're called gyros and they were, the campaign was Arby's Greek gyro uh, games. It was a cool uh, virtual marathon, um, you know, sort of focused on gyros. If you finish in the top three, you won gyros for a year, which would immediately get you out of marathon shape i might point out but anyway uh um but edelman worked on the campaign and and so it's an it's an interesting video game like campaign it's a little wonky it's a little out there carrie Uh, are you a gyro or hero pronunciation i'm gonna have to go with steve on this one Um, okay so if we're it looks like it's two to one yeah. Well, where, where where I'm from, though, we we call hoagies heroes or heroes hoagies, depending on how we want right. to do this. So you know, there could be confusion. We're going to go that way. I mean, well, anyway, her she's done a website with tri- we're getting well into the Halloween stuff, aren't we? Guidelines for safe trick or treating. So. so I I love this campaign. This is good, right? Because this is Hershey, uh, and they partner with the Halloween Costume Association, which frankly I did not know was a thing, but. Um, this is a really cool campaign of a brand doing its best and doing something creative in the circumstances that it's in. Cause uh, you know, Halloween is tricky this year for parents and for kids and what's safe and what's not yeah, safe and, and, and all of that. And they posted a color coded interactive map uh, that's powered by the Harvard global health Institute and shows users the risk of COVID-19 in their local communities. I think, I think it's terrific. It's a really good, they work with Zeno on this really good campaign that shows, um, you know, a, a candy brand like Hershey's could have just said to hell with it. There's COVID-19 this year. We're not going to, we're not going to take a chance. We're not going to do any kind of campaign this, this Halloween season. And, and they found a creative and responsible way to deal with the situation. So good for them. Yeah. Uh, Carrie Golden's got a lot of great consumer clients. So you must, and when you're pitching and when you're dealing with your existing clients, must often be asked, obviously, social media is a massive part of it. Are people still asking for something to go viral? You know, yeah. it, have we evolved beyond that now? And people understand that you've got to be, uh, you know, you have to take advantage of opportunities, but you also have to, you, know, you can't make something go viral. How do you approach that in, in pitches and with existing clients? Right. Well, it, it, that's a great question. And um, we do cringe anytime a client uh, has <laughs> make it go viral in their brief. Yeah, um, yeah. But, you know, they say that um, fortune favors the bold, but I really think that fortune favors those who listen well to their consumers that are on all of the channels that the consumers are expressing their passion for a brand um, or their dislike for a brand or whatnot. I um, too really loved um, the um, smart, quick work from, um, from Ocean Spray to, to maximize that opportunity. And sometimes I think that the, the world of planned content is, is kind of going to be on its last leg. I think the real future is in our ability to um, execute against a real-time environment and do it with content that's authentic and compelling. And um, and that is, I think, where you can get the, the real magic in, in how you execute. Um, yeah. It kind of reminds me, I don't know if you guys will recall, one of our um, moments was with, was with Walmart and finding the Yoda boy that 
little boy who was spot spotted uh, yodeling in the aisle of a Walmart, and um, and we were able to sort of uh, ride on the back of that fan passion and um, make a, a lot of meaningful moments for Walmart in that. So, so I remember when you did that whole sort of re envisioning of your business, where you sort of got rid of job titles and you set up these mm-hmm. content studios. Do you still have those? What I can't remember what you used to call them, but uh, absolutely. But, Every office had a newsroom. Essentially. Absolutely, yes. It's called the Bridge. That's and right. The bridge, it, yes, yeah. and it operates in all of our offices, and that's how we really run all of our media relations. So it might be from a planned perspective. You know, we might know that for a client, we're going to want to really get the news out around Halloween, for instance, and we'll use the Bridge to start listening to who are those influencers and mainstream media that we know are going to be writing about it, and how do we how do we get to them in the most meaningful way? But then more significantly, and I think more interestingly, it's let's listen to the conversations that people are having in this case, let's say it's about Halloween and how do we then authentically connect with them or leverage their interest um, for the benefit of the brand. So the bridge is exactly how we do it. And it's a big component to all of our client activations. And certainly from my perspective, it's a big selling point when we're going in to meet with new clients. How, do you, how did you have to evolve that in lockdown, the bridge concept? Because a lot of it was based around a sort of physical newsroom, wasn't it? Well, it, it is based on the collaboration that happens when, um, when different people from different backgrounds get together. Um, the beauty of the bridge is it combines data analysts with earned media specialists, creatives, and then account folks that understand what needs to happen um, for a certain brand or company. But many of these insights are driven by tools that we all have on our desktop. So um, we have something called Relevance Radar, and it's a sort of a cocktail of social listening tools that allow us to key in keywords or tune in to key audiences to, to see what they're talking about. So we just take the newsroom environment and we do it on Zoom. So instead of doing a, a stand-up newsroom meeting, for instance, every morning, now we've got a standing Zoom call where we um, go through that same data that's coming in through the dashboard and find ways to um, turn that into ideas. Got it. Yeah, I think uh, we're all working a bit more like that. All right, Frank, let's move on. Uh, ben Boyd has left BCW after just a year to go in-house at Lowe's. Uh, slightly surprising that he left so soon, really, yeah? I think so. And this is a big week for home improvement retailers on our podcast. It's their moment in the sun, clearly. Uh, so they have brought on Ben Boyd, for, uh, formerly of BCW for the past year, and before that, a long career at Edelman. He is joining up at Lowe's as VP of Internal and External Communications at the end of this month, uh, reporting up to Marissa Thalberg, their EVP and Chief Brand and Marketing Officer. And he's moving to North Carolina, where he will be based at the company headquarters. Um, he had a 14-year career at Edelman, uh, most recently as the Chief Client Strategy Officer. He more recently had a C-level role uh, at BCW, where uh, another top executive, Jim Joseph, has recently left as well. Um, but, you know, it, yeah, interesting to see Ben going over to the client side. So I guess we will have our eye on Lowe's to see what they come up yeah. with. 
rival Home Depot. Yeah, I uh, I think Marissa Tolberg was at Taco Bell, wasn't she, and, and before Lowe's. So, yeah, it was an interesting move. Interesting that Ben and Jim Joseph have left in short order from BCW, two of the most senior execs at the company, and neither being replaced, as I understand it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what uh, happens at BCW and who if, who, if anyone, comes in to take over their briefs. But, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. All right, so this year, PR Week has named uh, – this week we named our 2020 Hall of Fame class. And uh, I must admit one of my fondest memories was the first ever PR Week Hall of Fame when we had Al Golin on mm-hmm. stage with Harold Burson and the other – couple of the other nominees but Harold having Harold and Al on stage and interviewing them was a real highlight for me and uh, Carrie you must have had some great times working with Al very inspirational person yeah he was fantastic such a genuine man um I can still picture him just sitting at his desk always with a, a newspaper fan in front of him but anytime you walked past he'd be the first person to call you over, ask what was going on in your business, wanted to know about you as a person, just such a warm, genuine man. And um, we just hope that his spirit continues to um, permeate our organization. But that was a great proud moment for him to stand on stage next to Harold and um, other titans of our industry for your inaugural award. I sat near, I sat near Al, and if it wasn't the first Hall of Fame, it was the second. And um, I think it was. He, it it might have, yeah. He just had, he just had a great sense of humor, and he was just, he was just fun to sit by and and eat with. And uh, (laughs) well, I bet you shared a beer then, because he, he, yeah, I'm sure we did. (laughs) I'm sure we did. He's he's missed for sure. Yes. Yeah, so that, that's the level that, that, that our honorees are, you know, are joining. That's the level of class that they're joining. So this year, Michael Sneed uh, from J&J, Michael Kempner, founder of MWW, Cindy Berger from uh, Rogers & Cowan PMK, Krista Placker from ESPN, B Perez from Coca-Cola, and Karen Hughes from BCW. So brilliant, six brilliant alum to add to the honorifics uh, that were set off in the first year by Harold, Al, and others. And uh, we're looking forward to that event on the virtual event uh, on the uh, 3rd of December. And we've also named our chair of jury for the 2021 PR Week Awards. That's Geraldine Green, who's uh, head of comms at Young Brands, really a longstanding jury member and judge for the PR Week Awards. So Geraldine is going to do the chair ju- duties this year. Great to have her in, in place for that. And uh, you have until next Tuesday to get your entries in everyone. So I hope you're working on them. And um, uh, we want to make sure we profile the, this year of any year. We want we want to see the best work and how, what you've been doing. Because we know you've been doing some brilliant stuff in lockdown and honor your team's individuals. So make sure you're working on your submissions there um, for the deadline next week. Um, okay, another story this week, Frank. Tesla, which often comes up uh, you know, in the media, but they apparently have dispensed with their PR team. What's the skinny on that? And that's according to the electric vehicle industry blog, Electric, uh, which says they have confirmed it uh, at the highest level in Tesla. So that's that's insinuating that perhaps they talked to Elon Musk about it. Um, So it's believed to be the first time an automaker has just cleared out its PR department completely. Um, but this started when reporters or bloggers or journalists were noticing that their 
phone calls were not getting returned and then noticed that there wasn't an official contact. And uh, yeah, it looks like the entire PR department of Tesla has been dissolved. Um, here's what, how I feel about this. And that's, it's that it, Tesla as an, is an, an emerging company with a lot of emerging technologies. Um, they, they've had challenges with the technology as any kind of company like that would. Uh, especially when it comes to the self-driving technology. And no matter how good you are, accidents do inevitably happen. Um, and it also happens that this company has a, a CEO that likes saying controversial stuff on Twitter sometimes too. So my question is, the next time there is an unfortunate accident, accident with Tesla or Tesla self-driving tech, uh, or anything like that, are the, aren't they going to have a more difficult time handling it in the media than they would before by taking this group out of the company? And, and that seems very risky to me, especially with an emerging technology company like this. Yeah, I think um, it was never an easy job being the PR team at Tesla, shall we say, because you have that charismatic owner. It's a bit like Apple and Steve Jobs where the owner is kind of the PR function himself. You know, he's, he says stuff on Twitter that he's a bit like, he's, I'm not talking necessarily politically here, but he's a bit like President Trump in that he's got anything he says on Twitter, it gets an automatic massive, uh, you know, uptake of, of interest and engagement. And uh, it's very difficult to maybe not control the message, but, you know, shape the message in that environment. And it was Ricardo Reyes, I remember, had two or even three stints as, as uh, head of PR there. I think Simon yeah. Sproul had a short spell. There were, many have been through those doors, and m most of them have not lasted long because it was not an easy gig. So, um, it, it, yeah, of course, we're going to, as PR week, we're going to say you need a PR team, right? So, um, but on the other hand, they're not a normal company. And you say they're, they're sort of emerging. I mean, their market cap now makes them actually one of the most valuable businesses in the world. So, um, it's a, it's yeah, that, that's true. What, what I, what I mean by that is that a, a lot of, when you think about an automaker, I mean, it's, it's, if you buy an SUV or a crossover, you, you kind of know what you're going to get. Uh, you know, with with Tesla's automobiles, I mean, the technology is just evolving so quickly and might be unfamiliar to a lot of people, too. Yeah. Gary, if you were pitching for Tesla's business, how would you how would you advise them? Or what, what would your approach be? Well, I mean, I never like it when anyone devalues the strategic importance that public relations and the earned discipline can pay at the highest level. So, um, you know, I think that Frank raises some great points in terms of some liability um, that they're or that they're putting themselves in um, by not having someone there as a checks and balance against someone with such a, you know, strong presence, both um, internally and externally. Um, I think you need someone that can be there to um, predict the unpredictable, if you will, and, and help to, to stay the course. Um, you know, Elon is the face of that company. His reputation is um, intrinsically tied to it. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can circumvent um, all of the uh, things needed to protect his relationship and the company's relationship. So, yeah, I think it's hard when your CEO is a sort of celebrity CEO, like John Leger used to be at T-Mobile, for example, you know, it's very difficult to, 
Uh, well, it's not. It's different. It's different, isn't it? Because they are so much of the communications of the firm themselves. So, yeah, we'll see how that evolves. So, to finish quickly, Frank, the dialogue project was something we've spoken about. We had Bob Feldman on the uh, podcast a few weeks ago. They've actually released their data now. They want to improve the level of civil discourse, and I think everybody could be should be on board with that <laughs> mission. Uh, we need it. And but uh, what what did you make of the findings from the report? It's, it's one year old. I think that anybody who follows the media landscape in the country and follows the political landscape knows that uh, what uh, Bob and um, the folks helping him out on this is is correct. People in the US especially have a, a very difficult time even setting the ground rules of and the facts of what they're going to discuss even before they start discussing it. And because of that, it's very difficult to reach compromise on any issue and it's very difficult to disagree civilly. I mean, you see it in our politics, but you see it on social media a lot uh, and you see it in various other elements of the society. Yeah. Um, a lot of that is because, depending on our media diets or, or other factors, we we just can't agree on whether things like global warming exist. So how can we have a constructive conversation about them? That's interesting. So, that was that was the question at the end of the debate with the vice presidential debate last night, wasn't it? From a young person was basically saying, if if we and you can't even agree at your at presidential level, then how how are we supposed to you know take that as as a role model? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, he's also uh, they've lined up some real heavy hitters from the business world, um, you know, participating in this, like Doug McMillan from Walmart and Mary Barra from uh, GM from General Motors. Um, and talked about how at companies they encourage people to have a real discourse, how they uh, encourage them to agree civilly and be constructive about it. Uh, I, I think that's helpful. I think that I, th I think that that's really good. Um, I think he brings up a lot of good points with this initiative. I, I wish him luck. I really do because I, I I hate to say it. I feel like the it's a tough climb. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's important work, um, it's in, especially in the current climate. Just to finish, what was your one takeaway from last night's debate, Frank, with the VP debate? <laughs> Not the fly. I'm uh, that take is bad news. Put out there a lot. Uh, I, I want to see if it's like the presidential debate, whether the viewership ratings remain steady throughout, or if a lot of people tuned out after the first half hour because i think that changes uh people's perception of who did well because i think uh i think senator harris was very strong early in dinging him about the administration's performance on the pandemic um and that is an area that's of utmost importance to a lot of voters and a lot of those voters don't believe that his administration has done a good job with it so that's I think she was very strong at the start with that. Uh, I think he made some, he got some punches in uh, as the debate went on. Um, I think that he, he, neither of the people on the Democratic ticket can are saying openly whether they want to stack the Supreme Court. Uh, now, to be fair, none of the people on the Republican ticket will openly say if their Supreme Court justice uh, opposes Roe versus Wade. So this this works both ways, obviously. But um, 
Yeah, yeah, but uh, I'd love to see how the ratings were throughout this. I don't don't know that it will matter one iota because I, I don't think a lot of people do make decisions based on the vice presidential debate. But uh, look, we're, we're under a month now and it might be the last debate because they can, yeah. you know, there's a lot of controversy today as we are recording this about whether the next de- debate will be virtual. And the president has said he doesn't want to do it. But then his campaign then reversed course, predictably reversed course, I might add, and then said, well, maybe we can do live debates, but do them a week later, yeah. which would set up a third debate right before the election. Um, which there's a historical precedent precedent there that that could be very critical. Like in the, I, I believe the 1980 or the 1984 campaign, there was one the week before uh, the vote and it was, it was critical. So this is all going to play out over the next, uh, you know, 24, 48, 72 hours, whether the two campaigns can come to some sort of agreement uh, on whether there is another campaign or, or another debate or another two debates. Yeah, there was two things, uh, two quick things I noted. One, they got equal time, which was surprising because uh, Mike, Mike Pence did overrun nearly every question and quite significantly. So that was interesting. And then uh, Mrs. Pence didn't wear a mask when she went up on stage at the end. So that was interesting. Very quickly, Carrie, what was your one takeaway apart from the fly? <laughs> apart from the fly? Well, I, um, I guess I appreciated a slight more civil discourse that was happening at our yeah. highest levels, um, which wasn't surprising. Everyone was on their best behavior um, while still trying to make their point. So but I tend to agree. I think most of these debates, people are entering into it already knowing which direction they're going. I'm not really sure how, how wide the undecided um, world is at this point. Yeah, agreed. Listen, Carrie, thank you so much for being on the show. Really uh, enjoyed chatting to you and uh, continued good fortune at Goal. Yes, thank you. Thanks to both of you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And yeah, don't forget PR Decoded next week, Tuesday to Thursday. A brilliant show, so do sign up for that. The PR, the Purpose Awards are on the middle Wednesday, so um, sign up for those two. And it's PR Week Awards deadline, so it's a busy week for you all. And uh, if you need an extra week, well, why did ask nicely of the events team and they might actually help you out there. But I could, I didn't say that, honestly. Um, but that's uh, next week too. Then the 40 Under 40 event is on the 29th and Hall of Fame uh, will be on the 3rd of December. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week.